0: what is the risk of me not doing this, right? So that's something I think people don't really think about is what is the risk of you not trying that new thing? Is the risk that you stay in a job that you don't love, a job that is cushy and you're not growing, you're not pushing yourself, you're complacent in your job, and maybe 10, 20 years down the line, you have a midlife crisis. I don't know, you're you're not really being fulfilled, right? What is the risk of not being fulfilled? And I think it's a terrible thing. And so I saw the risk of me not trying this as greater than the risk of me staying in this job or the risk of me leaving this job right and so yeah I was like let me try this for a couple months for a year if I feel like I can make some money doing it then great like I can keep going and so almost right away I was like I'm never going back to software (laughs) I was like this is so much more fun Welcome to For The Long Run. We explore the why behind what keeps
1: runners running long, strong, and motivated, and how they've been able to achieve sustainable excellence. From Olympians to ultramarathoners and business owners, from the back of the pack and all the way to the front, we believe in creating community and expanding the running world for all. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt, and we're so glad you're here. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by the good people over at Microcosm Coaching, our good friends, TJ and Zoe. It's that time of year again. Time to jumpstart your 2024 running goals. We love partnering with Microcosm because they truly align on our beliefs for this show. They support their clients through breakthroughs, setbacks and plateaus and are in it for the long run. Whether you're running your first 5K or your 10th 100 miler, the coaches at Microcosm have a personalized training plan designed to fit your life and your goals. Not only will you have a strong relationship with your coach, but you'll also be a part of a community of other people like yourself to help encourage you and strengthen your commitment and support accountability. We love their approach to coaching because it accounts for the whole human experience, the impact of mental health and performance, life changes, work life, family life, and overarching goals. If you're ready to get after it in 2024, you can learn more at microcosm-coaching.com and let them know we sent you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Here at For the Long Run Podcast, you know we love to talk about the bigger stuff and the deeper stuff and get down to the nitty gritty of what makes life interesting and beautiful. And while a lot of what we talk about on this show is about our physical capabilities, a big part of what we believe in here at the podcast is doing the internal work. The more we can do the internal work, go to therapy and get the support we need, the better we can show up for our communities, our families, and as athletes. And that's why we're proudly sponsored by BetterHelp, because like them, we believe that therapy is for everyone. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. If you're ready to do the internal work, go to betterhelp.com FTLR. That's betterhelp.com slash FTLR to get 10% off your first month of therapy. Hey, it's me, Jonathan. Before we dive into the show this week, could you do us a small favor? Go to whatever podcast app you use and hit that follow or subscribe button. This ensures you never miss an episode and it helps us because you'll never miss an episode. These small actions help us out so much and thanks for being here. Now let's get into it. All right, we are live with Tony. Tony, pronounce your last name for me.
0: Yeah, so uh, in America, we say deep squally. How do we say it? In Italian, it might be like, deep squally. Yeah, with, the, you with got, the, yeah, you got the, the pasta hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, we are live here in Boulder, Colorado with Tony. Um, I've known Tony for 10 years. Time flies. Um, Tony and I go way back to the days of both of us not really being runners. I think that's correct, right? Were you a runner in 2013?
0: Um, well, I met you at November project right? and I think November project is when I first started identifying as a runner. So it was around that time when I was like, Oh, I'm a runner now. I actually remember our mutual friend, Joey Kyle, uh, running back from a workout with him. And, um, this was kind of downtown Boston and we were running back to, I don't remember where I was staying, probably in Southie. And I was like, I think I'm just going to run back, which is probably a good four mile, five mile run from downtown to Southie. Um, and he was like, Whoa, you're like a runner now. (laughs) And I was like, Oh yeah, I think I am. So I remember that that like moment in my brain.
1: Yeah, those were interesting days. So I must have had some realization like that as well. I was like, because I lived a mile and a half from the stadium, mm-hmm. and I would often bike there, and then do the workout, and then go to what was the name of the breakfast place by the stadium? Yeah, um, the Swiss Baker. Ba- Swiss Baker's. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and then bike home, and mm-hmm. and at some point. I started running in both directions as well, mm. and I was like, "That's that. That was the shift." Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's rewind it all the way back yeah. to the spring of 2013. Why did you show up to November Project? Wait, sorry, I missed a really important question at the beginning here. Who is Tony?
0: Oh, okay, yeah, that's how you start these. Yeah, days? yeah, okay. Um, Tony is Tony. Yeah, I think it's hard for me to describe myself. I have lots of identities, I think, that are piecemeal here and there. Um, obviously, I'm a creator, a photographer, uh, videographer, filmmaker. I am a dog parent now. I am a San Franciscite, a former Bostonite, New England, you know, in the, in the, in the depths of my soul, but California in kind of the shell of me. Um, I am a runner, ultra runner, trail runner, um lover of everything outdoors and running um yeah i am a former november project leader i am a person that just loves uh learning and getting getting deep in anything i'm doing at the time whether that be you know this kind of how this camera stuff all started happening um or november project or more recently french because i'm going to the <laughs> swiss alps which I know they don't speak French in Switzerland. Well, they kind of do. But anyways, yeah, whatever I'm doing, I love diving in and I, I love learning. i um, a lifelong learner as maybe some say. And yeah, that's, that's kind of, I guess, maybe a small piece of what encompasses Tony. So we just spent,
1: or you just spent 20 minutes setting up the three cameras that are pointed at us right now. Um, we have uh, three Sonys with a Tony. Uh, Tony's Instagram handle is Tony with Sony, but right now it's Tony with three Sonys. And so I've known Tony prior to his life as a creator, life as a videographer. Tony is in Boulder because we hired him to do a project with Puma. And it's been really cool watching Tony evolve into someone who's doing what he loves and has figured out a way to make a career out of, of a passion that he has. And you've spent the last three weeks in Colorado doing video for high lonesome or at high lonesome at hard rock and and now here in boulder for for five minutes (laughs) tomorrow i mean today oh shit that's today today.
0: oh my god yeah i just filmed 200 mile races and now i'm filming a one mile race talk to me about the
1: that evolution right like do you ever stop and think about the tony of like software development in boston and how far he's come um
0: Fuck that guy. <laughs> no, you know, I think I don't often. Lo- I mean, sometimes I do think like, you know, I think back to the the decisions or the moments in life that steer steer you down a different path than maybe what you're on. Um, but I don't dwell on them too long. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's really cool what I've done, but there's always more to do. And so while I probably should reflect more and maybe compare myself to my former self more, there's like still lots to do and still lots to learn. And I just am hungry to keep going, you know. And how does the running
1: and the evolution with running factor in, right? Mm. As you talked about in April or spring of 2013, a four-mile run was was a big adventure and mm. Joey called it out and like, man, you're a runner now. How has that evolution taken place over time?
0: Yeah, I'd say, you know, for running, moving to San Francisco is one of the best things for my running just because of the year-round ability to run without crazy weather events Um, and the access to the trails and the community there is pretty large and getting to the trails makes or makes it easier to get to the trails because that community is large you could always find a ride that kind of sort of thing so I'd say when I moved to San Francisco I really got into trail running and I think that just made running more enjoyable Um, and I just fell in love with kind of being in the Marin Headlands and exploring that and exploring the trails there um, and got really into the community. And there's also like a really great park system in San Francisco, so you can find trails locally too. And so just like having that access, I think brought a lot of joy to my running and didn't make it feel like work anymore. Or Not that it was work in Boston, but it was just, you know, if you're not running on the Esplanade in Boston or around the Charles, it's like, there's not as many great places to run. And so like having so much access, I think my running kind of took off and because I was just having fun with it, you know, and, um, and then you're also around people who are, you know, setting goals to run 50 Ks, 50 milers, hundred milers, and you kind of get desensitized to it <laughs> after you hear enough of that. And you're like, Oh, well, if that Joe Schmo can run a hundred milers, so can I, you know, right. and, uh, and then you sign up for stuff and you, you train and you, you figure out you can do it.
1: Yeah. yeah. That was sort of my journey into ultra running. I was, I was getting to know the trail community, more so online from Boston via people like Mike Wardy and Devin Yanko, and and just like talking with them, and getting desensitized to the thought of running fifty k, fifty miles, hundred miles. Um, I'm I'm not desensitized to the two hundred. I think that's like <laughs> I I can't comprehend that. I can like almost comprehend hundred miles. I can't comprehend two hundred miles. But I have friends that do it, mm-hmm. and I have friends who have done a lot of them and done it well. And it's just like fascinating where this sport can take us. Um, You and I have been interviewing people the last couple of days and asking like, why do you do this? What is your relationship with pain and discomfort? And we had an interesting conversation yesterday with a runner named Flannery and she was talking about like this dichotomy of, this is, or not a dichotomy, this is very painful and (laughs) very optional at the same time. Um, And I find that relationship fascinating that we choose to do these hard things and then someone like you is videoing people in the in the depths of like the pain cave and then that story is told yeah <laughs> sorry i was just thinking about the yes or no question podcast <laughs> tony and i joked about the um so we did this this conversation yesterday and Flannery is a psychotherapist. And so she was like, oh, the way that you're asking questions is very great. And I forget the phrase, the term she used. But um, Tony was like, we should do a, a podcast where it's just a list of yes, no questions. <laughs> this won't be that. Thank goodness. What is your next goal? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, so I, I want I wanna to continue to set the stage with the running part of Tony. Tony. Um, and the community part of Tony. And then we'll, I'm, I'm super curious on the the video and the creator side mm-hmm. of things. But um, you've always been a community guy, or at least I've, that's how I've known you. Um, you were a co-leader at Nevermind Project San Francisco. Talk to me about right. like, first, what does community mean to you? And if you answer that one question, we're done.
0: <laughs> the one word, we're done. Yes. <laughs> um, community, you know, I think... Maybe it means something different to a lot of different people. But at the end of the day, it's a place where you feel at home with a bunch of people that maybe aren't your immediate family. And yeah, I think that's kind of... A, it's a usually a safe space. If you feel community in something, it's probably a safe space for you. It has a lot of people there you might call friends. Um, it's part of where you probably get some fulfillment and joy out of your life. Um, yeah, and it's a place for you to... Um, have all that love and connection that maybe you uh, that everyone needs. I think.
1: So you were you talked a little bit about a safe space and and a place where people can come and and be themselves and try new things, kind of a kind of a vibe. You were the co-leader of November Project San Francisco at the at the time when November Project was realizing, hey, there are more people than just like super fit white guys that are <laughs> doing November Project. me about the transformation and how you're a part of pushing that forward. Because I look at your group in San Francisco right now and it's like, it's incredibly diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, we were just in Tahoe and and like, it was really refreshing compared to being here in Boulder where it's like all people that look like us. And I've had a lot of conversations with our mutual friend, David Lamb and a, a variety of other people. David was on the podcast a few weeks ago and to me like I have this platform and I want to use it to have people on it who don't look like me and and the conversations I've had with with a lot of those types of people say I want to see people like me at the races at you know in brand photos, all of this kind of stuff. So I, I feel it's super important to do that kind of stuff to promote that representation aspect. but as someone who who is like doing that, on the community side of things, or in the community side of things, talk to me about how that experience was.
0: Yeah, great question. Um, you know, my co-leader at the time was Allie, and she was a lot more aware and um, thoughtful about this stuff. And so she taught me a lot, and together we worked to to kind of try to make SF more welcoming, inclusive, um, and diverse. And, you know, one of the biggest things is kind of what you're referring to is seeing, right? Um, People will feel more comfortable in doing things or being in places where they see other people like them, right? And that might be, be, that's probably, that is beyond race, right? That is just in any one of your um, ways you identify, if you see someone similar, especially in ways you identify that are priorities for you, right? Someone's race might not be their biggest identifying section, Anyways, um, what I'm getting at is like being seen is really important. And so one of those things, obviously, is the leadership. Um, Allie and I, two white people, um, the only diversity we have is gender, you know, Um, and that's just the typical binary gender. Um, But we knew right away that like, okay, we need to get people in leadership positions that are diverse. And we didn't just want to pick anyone. So we needed to continue to build San Francisco in an, in a way that made it as inclusive and welcoming as possible until we found people who um, were one interested even in taking a leadership position because not a lot of people were and had the time. Um, and yeah, and would be would be good for the for the leadership position. So, you know, so we did we did things, and you know, a lot of it is like if you if you to make up a space more welcoming, it's really seeing everyone, right? Again, seeing. Um, and so every time a new person came to the workout, we tried to welcome them. We tried to remember their name as best as we could. We introduced them to people. If one of us was doing the workout that day, we might run next to them and kind of chit chat and just ask a little bit, you know, kind of like small talk questions, you know, where are you from, what you do, that sort of stuff, just to try to make people feel welcome. And And then the more those people stick around, the more that other people like them, when they show up, they see like, oh, hey, there's someone else here like me maybe I'll stick around. Maybe I'll talk to that person. And so, you know, that was kind of our, our thing. And um, there's only so much you can do. Obviously, it's like, we could probably have done better recruitment. But, you know, we only have so much time. And so instead of recruiting new people, we kind of focused on just welcoming those that did show up at first. Um, yeah, and hoping that they would bring their friends if they had a good experience kind of thing.
1: And so now you're in a role where you're working with brands. And what you're doing for work is being seen by not just the people showing up at the workout, but thousands and tens of thousands mm-hmm. of people. Are those considerations happening in those conversations as well?
0: Yeah, at least on my side. I mean, every time I work with a brand, if they're not providing me with a model, which most of them haven't, I ask, can I provide the model? Or, you know, can I use someone, a friend of mine who's, who can model? And, um, and then I'll often ask like, Do you do you care about this person being a diverse person? And for for the most part, everyone's like, yeah, it'd be great if so they could be um, someone who's not white or white male, at least. And I'm like, great. So you know, I think I've built up such a great friend network in the Bay Area that I have lots of people to ask um, lots of friends, not just people I barely know, but lots of good friends who I can be like, hey, I got this gig, can I give you some money? This is great. And it's worked out really well. And so, you know, I try to use diverse people as often as I can, because I do believe that that is important to be seen in this, in these media campaigns. Um, and brands have so far always been receptive. So I haven't had any issues there with that. Um, but yeah, I think it's important to keep an eye out for that stuff and, um, yeah, making sure they're getting paid too. when when we use their time and, uh, yeah. And I also think it's important just to like, these aren't just models I'm hiring. These are like my friends, you know? And so it's nice that um, the Bay Area has a good diverse, I mean, it's, you know, kind of diverse, but it's a good diversity group in the running scene that I can have friends of all all different walks. For sure. Yeah, it's been super cool to see. And particularly like the brands that you're
1: working with are some of the biggest brands in the sport, which is cool. Which leads me to another aspect I'm curious about. So you took a chance on changing your career, like. Pretty dramatically Mm -hmm. um, going from a role that traditionally pays pretty well and gambling. I don't want to say gambling, like Mm -hmm. doing something completely different and starting, maybe starting from zero. Yeah. Talk to me about that process and at what point were you like, I'm doing it, right? Mm -hmm. Because I saw a tweet the other day that said, I love when my friends quit their jobs. And what they meant by that was when they pursue their passions and when they pursue like what's lighting them on fire, setting their soul on fire versus like clocking in, doing the work, getting paid, going home and not really caring about the, the output.
0: Yeah. I have so much to say on this. So I'm go for it. There's a mic in front of you. I might ramble. <laughs> um, and I might try to take different directions. And then I might tell you to ask me certain questions. No, I'm kidding. Um, yes. So, <laughs> yeah. oh, man, there's so many... So many things. So, I really love this person that likes when their friends quit. I think it's so easy to get comfortable in a position that pays you well, especially in my field of tech software. You're getting paid well, you're kind of catered to very nicely. Like, you get meals, people like care about software developers a lot, you know, like you you have a lot of nice things. And so, it can be very easy to get stuck in those roles. And maybe there's growth opportunities in your company, but I'm sure you've often heard this. But the best way to improve your paycheck or get better benefits is to move like to new companies, right? And not stay in one company. So in the same in the same manner, I think the best way to grow as a human is to change, right? There has to be change, getting out of your comfort zone, uh, you know, trying something new, experimenting, change, right? And so I love this quitting a job because I think quitting jobs in general mean that a change is happening in that person's life. And change means growth. Change means progress. Um, and so I think that's really that's really cool. But anyways, so my own change, progress, growth story comes back to tech. And I was working at a... Um, so the reason why I came to even San Francisco is because I was working at a uh, consultancy, a uh, software consultancy that had an office in San Francisco in Boston. And I was in Boston and they said they needed more help in SF. And so they moved me out there. So that was like a real big win. I got to try a place that I loved um, on kind of company dime moving. Um, so that was huge. And so I was in San Francisco and I was working at that company and a lot of my friends started leaving that company. And so I kind of was getting bored. And so I thought, you know, let me leave this consultancy life because in a consultancy, you work with a bunch of different companies since you're not on one project very long. So let me leave this life and go to a product company, try that kind of startup thing again. Cause I kind of started my career out of college at a startup and try that again and kind of, uh, you know, see how that feels. Cause I was kind of getting bored and kind of, I don't know, just wasn't fulfilled. So anyways, I went to this product company And man, Silicon Valley—that show—sometimes is too real. And uh, (laughs) and I've never lived in California, and and I feel it. (laughs) Yeah, and so I don't know. Like that kind of stuff bothers me because I'm not—I'm not someone to like, like in the companies when they're like, we're saving the world through like tiny qubits of data. And so you're like, no, no, you're not. Um, anyways, so I get, I'm probably maybe a little cynical in that way. And so, you know, I wasn't always caught up in the Kool-Aid. I never drank really the Kool-Aid of these companies. Um, and so if you're not drinking the Kool-Aid, you can kind of see the, the annoying parts probably a lot more. And so anyways, I stuck it out a year at this product company. Um, I was, it was just issues with management, you know, issues with bosses, um, all that stuff. And, you know, they say you don't quit your company, you quit your boss. Um, and so all that kind of stuff led to me getting really burnt out. And, um, I, at the same time as I was getting burnt out, I became a leader at November project and I picked up a camera because our mutual friend, Laura Green was taking all the pictures and she moved to Boston. So she was no longer there taking pictures. And so I was like, oh, I've always kind of been interested in photography. Um, actually my boss at the time of the company lent me one of his cameras so I could try it out. I was like, oh, this is great. Talked to a friend about like what camera to buy. And he was like, Sony's are pretty cool right now. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. I'll get a Sony. So, I got a Sony and um started and an get, Instagram and an Instagram. I didn't have that Instagram for a while. Um, but I had the Sony, and I started taking pictures of the workouts and the people at the workouts. and I just got such great reception from the photos I was taking, and it started to become a thing that fulfilled me, right? I was getting a lot of validation, a lot of um, joy from taking photos of people who are my friends, people who are my community. And I was getting a lot of validation through that. And so, Whereas the software and the tech scene and developers were never really my community. And I, ne- I never really felt right in that, in that space. Um, but November Project was. And so when I started getting lots of validation, lots of um, success, or just joy and people confirming you know, that this was good. Through that, I was like, oh, this is, this is fun. This other thing, this software stuff, that's not so fun. You know, like when people ask, oh, hey, what do you do? And you tell them about your job and you're like, oh, I don't worry about it. <laughs> and you know, you can almost feel it like when you say what your job yeah. is, you're like, I'm not very stoked to tell people what my job is or about what I do. And so, you know, I was seeing that and then I was like, but I am really stoked to talk about November Project. You know, I could talk about that forever. And so I was like, okay, I can't work November Project. Like that doesn't pay anything. That's a volunteer position. So this photo stuff was like, really fulfilling. And so I was like, okay, what if I started going to my friend's trail races or races in general and taking photos there? And so I started doing that kind of thing. Anyhow, a year passed by at this startup company. And I was like, you know what, I'm done. I don't want to work for a boss anymore. So I left and I started freelancing software first. I had a, a software gig lined up. I had this client. Um, and so I had a time in consultancy. So I knew how to work with clients and everything. So that was kind of nice. So I had a client lined up Um, and they were, had a lot of work to do. So I knew I had a good runway while I was trying to kind of build up this photography thing. Um, and so, yeah. And so that kind of over a couple of years, the software just would slowly wane down. I was doing about half weeks, 20 hour weeks with this software company and then, um, starting to find all the gigs I could with photography. At first I was teaching it. I was doing like, um, just these classes on Sundays where I would just walk people around downtown Boston or downtown San Francisco long and uh, yeah, long commute downtown San Francisco. And we just would take pictures. And I was teaching the basics, absolute basics of camera stuff, but that like hammered it in my brain. So like, I just got really good at using the camera because I was just constantly teaching. I think teaching is like such a great way to learn. Um, and so anyway, so yeah, so that slowly started transitioning over to camera stuff, camera stuff, creativity, created creative, creative content, content creation, um, and I think around 21, 2021, a friend of mine named John Levitt reached out to me with a gig of filming um, this athlete they had in Richmond, Richmond, California. And... this Tiana. Uh, yes. And around that time, I, I had already stopped doing software work and I was looking for another software gig. And I had a couple of interviews and I was like, this isn't fun. I don't want to do this. The gig that, that Inside Tracker um got me, I was like, oh, like that's a pretty decent amount of money. I could live off that. Because at the time I had pared down all my expenses to be a very, very base minimal living expenses. And so I could live off of a couple thousand a month. And so I had this gig. Um, and I was like, okay, let me just stop with software, go all in on this, and just try to make it work and see what happens. And so that's what I did. And so that was kind of the the inception of. You know, no more software, all photo and video stuff, and creating.
1: What well, was that yeah. like? Final moment before you decided to take the leap? Like,
0: yeah. So, what I just said was the boring story. That was the timeline. But I think the more interesting stuff. Yeah, let's get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you can just <laughs>
1: yeah. editor. What's your Brian name, Brian? Brian. Just, uh, just yeah, no, roll no, through just that.
0: Um, yeah. So I think some of the more interesting side of things is around uh, the time I was getting burnt out with the tech at the tech company. I read um, Tim Ferriss's four hour Workweek, and I didn't, I wasn't really into what he was saying, but one chapter I loved was his chapter on risk. And I think that in general, we are very bad at risk assessment, um, accurate risk assessment. And so, you know, I was talking earlier about how you get cushy in your job. And so you think, oh, if I leave this, I'm not going to have a paycheck. Like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm not going to be able to afford my house. I'm not going to be able to afford food. I'm not going to be able to afford all my lifestyle. And so I started thinking really deeply about what was the actual risk of me leaving my tech job and trying something new. And the risk was, I thought, pretty low. I'm a software developer in San Francisco. (laughs) Like, if I left for a couple months, for a year and needed to get back in, I could find a, a software job. And maybe I take a knock and pay, but whatever, I could find a job. And at the time I had pared down my expenses a ton. And so I knew that I didn't have a high cost of living, or I didn't have a high cost to, to live to, you know, my expenses weren't very high. So my, my risk was pretty low, I thought. And so I was like, what is the risk of me not doing this, right? So that's something I think people don't really think about is, what is the risk of you not trying that new thing? right? Is the risk that you stay in a job that you don't love, a job that is cushy and you're not growing, you're not pushing yourself, you're complacent in your job, and maybe 10, 20 years down the line, you have a midlife crisis. I don't know. You're you're not really being fulfilled, right? What is the risk of not being fulfilled? And I think it's a terrible thing. And so I saw the risk of me not trying this as greater than the risk of me staying in this job or the risk of me leaving this job, right? And so yeah I was like let me try this for a couple months for a year if I feel like I can make some money doing it then great like I can keep going and so almost right away I was like I'm never going back to software <laughs> I was like this is so much more fun and um, and you know I think if you think about the business side of it you can make money you know it's not it's not like it's that hard I think a lot of people are love the art of it and I love the art of it too but um, but you gotta you got to think about the business side of it if you want to like make a living out of this thing and if you want to um, uh, make it sustainable. And so anyways, I think risk assessment is very important. And I think we're all pretty bad at that. And I think taking a good hard look at what the actual risk of you doing something is, you might think, oh, actually, no, that's not that risky. And it's actually more risky to not do it, right? And not try. That's it for now.
1: If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, can you do me a favor? Can you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. While many of us are taking time to rest and reset this month amongst holiday celebrations and end of year work shenanigans, 2024 is fast approaching. It's the perfect time to think about and plan your running goals for the new year. That's where Microcosm Coaching comes in. Started by our past guests and good friends, TJ and Zoe, Microcosm puts intentionality and thought into every aspect of the coaching experience. They believe in inspiring athletes to reach for more, find their community, and continue their running through the ups and downs that life throws at them. So if you're looking for a coaching experience that counts for the breakthroughs, setbacks, and everything in between, Microcosm is it. They can help build a personalized plan to balance life and training. If you're ready to get started, go on over to microcosm-coaching.com and let them know that the team at For the Long Run sent you. So that's 2021. You did the interview with Tiana Bartoletta. It was awesome. Um, What happens next?
0: Around that same time, I also was hired by Adidas Terex to help film Corinne Malcolm, who is running the San Francisco Crosstown Trail. Crosstown Trail, for those who don't know, um, San Francisco is a seven-mile by seven-mile basically square. And so the Crosstown Trail goes from the bottom east corner the southeast corner to the northwest corner. Uh, through the city, through all the neighborhoods, kind of this like trail that some some trail and some dro- road. Um, but it's about, if I remember correctly, 13 miles? Something like that? 15 miles, maybe? Sounds right. Anyways, Corinne was going for the FKT. And um, at the time, people in Europe still had a lot of trouble coming into the States. And so the Adidas Tarek's creative team was all in Germany. Um, and so they asked Corinne if she knew someone. Corinne knew me. And so um they basically hired me to uh to help film that. And so between those those gigs with Inside Tracker and with Corinne, I ended up making um enough money to sustain a couple months. And then it was just kind of from there, I mean it was just finding gigs. You know, it's almost even hard for me to remember what I did back then. I think you um, built my website also. Oh, I built your website. That was that was before I think I did that. Maybe it was around that time. Yeah, it was around, I think around that but yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Um
1: but but yeah, for the just, long
0: dot run, for those who are out there, built yeah. by Tony with the Sony. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, don't at me if it if it doesn't work. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, I was doing well, so the, the weekend gigs of teaching on the weekends, that was 300 $400 a weekend. So that was pretty deece. Um That sustained me for a while. And then um, I just started getting random gigs with just different companies. And it was a lot of photo work. And then it was a lot of video work. And that, then 22 came around, and you know, it's honestly hasn't been that many years. 22, I started getting some more branded work, working with friends like Ryan Scurra and Andy Cochran was really helpful. Um, my buddy Scott Rokas, who does a lot of uh, field photography and a lot of um, longer races 100 miles, 200 milers um, he was always kind of the go to guy, media guy for Broken Arrow. So he hired me every year for Broken Arrow, so I was making money there. And then Western states. I got hired doing some um some videos for the Western States live stream, for the Broken Arrow live stream. So like those weekends kind of sustained me and I would I would make enough to kind of keep going. And then this year, 2023, has been a boom of work. It's just like so much came my way, um, which is awesome. I feel like this is the first year where it's like, if there's a year where you think like I've made it, this is kind of that year where like I'm getting a ton of work and that's awesome. I also realize it is a ton of work to do all this work, which is weird. I know, Um, but uh, I know wild. Um, And so I think the next thing for me is thinking about uh, how to find sustainability in this. Um, There were a lot of really low moments this year of having overwhelming amount of work um, and trying to get through it. And also we got a new puppy this year and, my girlfriend and I are, you know, taking a big trip this summer, talking about buying a house like this progresses there in life. And so all of that mixed in with like this overwhelming amount of work has caused a lot of very stressful weekends. And so I think for now it's time to like figure out how to scale that back and like find sustainability in this. Maybe that's saying no to some things, say yes to other things. You know, I think... I had been saying yes to everything basically that came my way for so long. And I think that's really great when you're, when you're learning and growing um, and you're still kind of um, finding your feet, but you know, eventually you got to find some sustainability in it.
1: Yeah. And it's been cool. I mean, I've seen you like three or four times this year, it seems, um, between California and Colorado and again, later in the year at different places. And it's been so cool to watch like your evolution as the two of us continue to evolve into what we're both doing and, new stages of life and whatnot. And I guess that's what happens when you're friends with people for a decade, but
0: it's still super cool to see. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, on that too, I think it's really cool that we both had our own journeys with something creative and something um, different and yours obviously being the podcasting. Um, and so, you know, it's mutual, the feeling of watching you grow in this role and interviewing progressively. I mean, not even progressively, you were interviewing cool people almost immediately because of your yeah. access to your current job. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been great to see your growth as well. It's
1: one of those things where, like, so the brands enable all of this to happen, right? Like, I have sponsors so that people like Tony can do what they do, mm-hmm. and Tony is sitting here with two cameras and a third one is is mine, and like all this is possible from from the work that's getting done, and it's like this interesting synergy between like big brands and small brands mm-hmm. and. And then people supporting the brands and making that kind of stuff happen. And what I enjoy, what I love about the role that I'm currently in on the creator side of things is like, I can hire my friends for stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, I've probably hired you to do three or four, maybe more different projects on the podcast side of things, let mm-hmm. alone from Inside Tracker. And to me, that's like, that feels like success for me to help, mm-hmm. like to pay my friends to do what they do. Um, I don't know. It's just like really cool what we've been able to uh, get to.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And I think that I feel similarly in that I love being in a role now where I can work with friends and hire friends um, or collaborate with friends on different things because in the software world, I wasn't doing any of that. Um, but now stuff like this or stuff like... I actually got um, kind of a bunch of contracts this year with this one brand that does a lot of marketing for a bunch of races in the Bay Area. They do the Napa Valley Marathon, Big Sur Marathon, a bunch of halves locally. Um, And I've been able to hire Patty and Ryan um, on these gigs. Ryan is like a a drone operator or second camera, second shooter. Um, Patty as a, like, phone. <laughs> he basically just Patty with a pixel. He just records with his phone. But, you know, these races sometimes need live updates of yeah. some fun things that are happening on the course for stories on social media and whatnot. And Patty was perfect for that. And so we'd all go down there with our e-bikes and we're e-biking around the course, having a time. And, and so stuff like that is so fun. And, man, it's like those days where, like, you're in Monterey, like, on the coast, beautiful, beautiful coastline of, like, the Big Sur coastline. Sun's rising. And you're with, like, two of your good buddies. Like, on e-bikes, like zipping around a a running course, cheering your face off and like getting content, man, it's like, I'm living the fucking dream. Like that stuff is so fun. And so I agree with you, like it's so cool now to to be in this position where I can hire friends, I can work with friends and we can do cool things together. And Ryan and I have collaborated on a few different things now and we always try to bring Patty in and do different fun things with his brands because he's a sponsored athlete and yeah, it's great.
1: How does your own running play into this, right? Because in 2019, Mm -hmm. we did an epic run together. You ran half of the Grand Canyon with a Sony in your hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we ran the second half of it together uh, on the way back. And wow, that would, I like still watch those videos from the climb out of Phantom Ranch up to the top of the south rim of the Grand Canyon. Seven miles of stairs. Seven miles of stairs. It was a lot of stairs. Um, there are a lot of jokes that we told each other on the way up. Um, most of them were bad. <laughs> <laughs> Not surprising. <laughs> Not surprising. But you organized a group of about 15 people or we organized a group of about 15 people to go um, do rim-to-rim and some of us did rim-to-rim-to-rim. Actually, I want to ask more specifically. So so you were seeking commitments for like, are we doing rim-to-rim or rim-to-rim-to-rim? And I vividly remember the the moment where I was like, I feel like I could do rim-to-rim today. So yeah, let's do rim-to-rim-to-rim. Had you run an ultra at that point?
0: Yeah, I had to run some 50 k.
1: Okay, then never mind. No further questions, Your yeah. Honor.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I remember that moment too, because I think often, and maybe it's our November Project community, but we you have a question like, do we do rim-to-rim, which is a 22-mile endeavor? Or do we do rim-to-rim-to-rim, which is a 44-mile endeavor, right? So it's like, none of us had run 44 miles yet, but we were kind of on like a let's fucking go kick and our license plate of the
1: rental car had lfg on the god, license plate that. Yeah. remember that with anime flynn i forgot about the that, lfg yeah, mobile
0: yeah. oh my god anyways we yeah it's like one of those things where we're in this November project very positive community that's just like oh let's do that one you know and so we those questions were posed and we we're like uh, no let's do the big one let's do the hard one yeah fuck yeah let's go
1: okay so we did that um it was awesome I'm still, I'm still curious about like the dynamic Mm. of your own running. How much are you thinking about your own goals related to running or, or is it like you're pretty focused on launching this video and photo Mm -hmm. career and then maybe the, the personal running comes back around into it? Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, my own running is very important as far as just joy, happiness, stress relief. Like I'm running in the trails or during the week as much as I can, just because I enjoy it. Um, whether I'm training for something or not. And so the job stuff definitely was taking a priority. Um, and there'd be mornings where I'd wake up early and just start work right away because I was like, I got some deadlines I got to hit. But I'm still working out that kind of scheduling stuff. Cause, like, as my own, as a freelancer, as your own kind of hour maker, you don't have to run in the morning. You can run at, one, two, three, four. You can run anytime, really. And it's always nice in San Francisco. it's so. always nice in San Francisco. And, but that's like, that was hard for me. It still is hard for me to like make, like if I don't run in the morning, it's like a it's decreasing percentage yeah. chance that I run throughout the day. Um, and so I'm still trying to find that that um, sustainability. And then, so anyways, running is very important. I was probably some of the fittest of my life last year, probably mid last year when I was just running a bunch. Um, I went to Chamonix last year and hiked uh Tour de Mont Blanc, which is the similar course to what the um, UTMB runners take and did a six-day backpacking trip, fast packing trip around there. And so I was in pretty good shape last year. And then coming into this year, I had a couple injuries, getting a new dog, figuring out new schedule habits with the new dog. Um, has and, and the overwhelming amount of work has kind of taken... Running has taken a backseat, um, which has been tough. But I was able to train for, train for the Dipsy, Dipsy race. And... I got injured twice while training for the Dipsy race because I wasn't really running. And then I would go run really hard on the Dipsy course and be like, let's see what I can do. And it was like, okay, well, I have no base right now. It sounds
1: like uh, uh, November
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, kind of. So, anyways, the
1: stadium as hard as we possibly can. Yeah, but a good friend
0: of mine was like helping me by dry needling and like PTing and all that stuff. And so she helped me fix a couple of the issues. And now I'm dealing with some IT band stuff, which doesn't really prevent me from running. So I've still been running lately, but... Um, so anyways, it's taking a backseat right now, which kind of sucks. I'd like to ramp it back up. I'm hoping that this IT band stuff kind of works itself way out and then I can start ramping up the running again. i like to maintain, like, I, I love to say that I can maintain fitness level of maybe a month out from running a 50K. And so, you know, I'm 40, 50 mile a week, um, a lot of easy runs to keep a base, some harder climb stuff, like doing Mount Tam, things like that. But I'm always, you know, and within like a month, I could probably train up for a longer race. um, Longer 50K, not like longer 100 mile. Um, And that's a good place for me. I think that my work has a lot of running in it. I'm on the trails often and I'm sprinting to keep up with people who are like top dude in Western States. Yeah. Yeah, And you're like, uh, I can barely keep up with these guys for like a quarter mile. Yeah. so yeah, I mean keeping a little bit of my running is important. And actually when I first injured this hamstring, there was a ton of knee pain and I had a gig the very next day. And so my buddy went out, my buddy and I went out to these um this trail in the Oakland East Bay Hills, and we were filming for Best Day Brewing, which is a non-alcoholic beer in the area. And um I couldn't I couldn't move. Like I could barely hike. And so I'd start running, I'd take two steps and be like, oh. Uh, <laughs> and like, so it's just the footage, the video came out okay and the footage was fine, but yeah, that's when I was... That actually hit me hard because I was like, oh shit, like, I can't really get injured. Yeah. This is, is my scary? livelihood. Does that scare you? Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, e- at least right now, I um, I would like to build a better base for my business that isn't so reliant on me having to move in the mountains. And I can do that when it's fun and when I, when I love to do it. Um, but right now, it is kind of based on being um, able to move uh, through the trails and everything. So definitely scared me a little bit. And... um I hadn't really raced since the pandemic. I did way too cool 50k. Uh, maybe the week before the pandemic, we were like laughing about this COVID thing coming. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, so then the pandemic hit and I didn't race at all. And then this Dipsy race, which is a seven and a half mile race was the first time I've raced since then. Really. I've done some like Turkey trots, but you know, nothing, nothing really, um, in the trails. And so, yeah, this is kind of the first time I've and so, you know, those two or three years, my work has progressed so much. My, my career has progressed so much. And so this is the first time I've been majorly injured during this big boom in my career and being like, oh, shoot, like, this is important for me not to be injured, for me to move and, and do this. So I think now it's like trying to figure out a better way of like being, um, keeping my body you know, doing so well, like I you could get away with not rolling in your 20s and not stretching and not caring. And now it's like, oh, no, my body kind of needs that. So making sure I'm focusing on rolling and stretching and doing all the PT and the strengthening, all that stuff and trying to get better at that right now to keep my body moving because it needs to. You just keep saying roll because there are like six roll recovery products and <laughs> Oh, there <laughs> are actually yeah oh my god can I roll during this podcast yeah, you could roll it. you can't
1: use the Normatech boots because that makes noise but if you want to roll while, while we're rolling yeah go for it roll while you're rolling roll while we're rolling um, that sort of leads me into or as as you were saying that I was thinking about like you're you're living your dream right now mm-hmm. and you've made it a reality and there are things that can be hiccups like if you get injured like it's kind of hard to do what you're doing a question I like asking to people who have taken risks or taken chances or or are like who have really just bet on themselves is what is what does success mean?
0: Mm. You know, I've listened to enough of your podcast. <laughs> I should know the questions, <laughs> but I didn't think about it at all. Um, success, mm, I think, success is a. State of mind, and it's an action word. It is not a destination. It is the journey. So, success is kind of loving whatever you're doing, being happy and fulfilled in whatever you're doing. And you don't have to, you can be doing a normal tech job like I wasn't feeling successful in, and you can be successful. I think, you know, it doesn't matter. It's different for every person. It's really just like finding the mindset to be fulfilled, be happy, um, be successful in whatever you're doing. Um, And that's going to look differently for everyone. I don't think... I try to really stray away from the traditional definitions of success that capitalism and today's society kind of give us. I think that lots of money doesn't mean success. Um, Lots of fame doesn't mean success. Lots of um, things doesn't mean success. You know, I think... At the end of the day, humans, we are defined by our relationships to people. And so I think having those be priority is going to lead to a much happier existence. And in my sense, a more successful existence than not being involved in those. And so that's why community is so big to me. Um, spending time with my friends, finding ways to work with my friends or, and do that kind of thing is so important to me. Um, yeah yeah cool love it Tony this has been
1: a blast thank you so much for taking some time to chat and uh, see you tonight oh
0: man it's coming up I know we got it's five doors open at five it's three hours from now two hours from now yeah yeah cool this has been a blast and uh, we'll see you out there yeah thanks so much
1: John of course that's it for today's episode like many long runs it's sad when it has to end I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run and in the meantime happy trails if you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo was created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village.